All right, you can have a seat. <clears throat> Thank you, Hubert. Our Old Testament reading for today is Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 and 19. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 18 and 19. It says, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, talking to, to, about Moses, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he sh shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. And that is our Old Testament reading. We always try to connect the Old Testament readings with the New Testament passage that's, that we're actually teaching on. And so later on in the sermon, um, I know when, you, when, when, I, when pastors used to say that, I'd be like, well, how late is he going to go? And he says, later on in the sermon. I mean, no, I'm not going to go that long. But towards the uh, you know, middle end of part, we'll connect that. But we are going to be in Hebrews today. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3. So we're starting a new chapter. And um, Hebrews, if you've been joined, if you've been with us in Hebrews, it's been uh, really cool to see from this New Testament context of what the, really, the average Jewish Christian was dealing with during the time of, uh, you know, towards uh, A.D. 60-ish to A.D. 70-ish. It was a very, very difficult time for to be a Christian, because, not only because of the persecution, but also because most Christians were Jews. And they were very um, confused, uh, even, about what is the combination, how does Old Testament covenant Judaism fit now with this New Testament, New Covenant Christianity? Where does Christ, how do these things meld together? And it was very simple from the very first words of the book. The writer, who we believe, or I believe personal opinion is to be Paul, but uh, it's very um, you know, up in the air. But the writer of the Hebrews here says, uh, the very first verse, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions in any ways, in many ways, now in these last days, how has he spoken to us? Through one person, his son. And that pretty much needed all, you know, every chapter of this book to flesh out. And so we went through the first chapter. We saw how Jesus is a superior messenger than the angels. And again, in Jewish culture and history, that was a big thing. Seeing the angel of the Lord or seeing the angel Gabriel or Michael or whatever the case was, that was like they were very much exonerated. But Jesus is better than that. And the reason he's better is because of what he endured and what he did. And most importantly, who he is. He is God. And that's what the writer of Hebrews goes on to explain in chapter 1 and chapter 2. That Jesus actually became a human being so that human beings can then be truly what they were meant to be. Image bearers of God. The true image bearers of God. To have that relationship with God and reflect his glory out into the world. And even hinted a little bit that in the next age to come, we are going to be brought up. We are going to be put in a position of authority over the angels. Which is kind of neat to think about. <clears throat> and then so through, uh, we went through chapter 2. We talked about last week the whole entire 
end of the story for, for chapter 2 was that in, including being perfected in sufferings, Jesus also went up against the biggest enemy of all for you and for me, and that is death. And he defeated it. New creation defeated anti-creation. Jesus' life defeated Satan and death. And so now our writer, I'll get to the actual passage, says in the very first verse of chapter 3, therefore, okay, so therefore refers to everything that I just said in first chapter 1, chapter 2. He says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. He's pleading with them and he's exhorting them. Consider Jesus. He is the apostle. Capital A, the chief messenger, I should say, as that translates, and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. Now, in these six verses, the word house is used six times. Listen, listen for that. Moses was faithful in all his house, for he, Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. Verse 4. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. Verse 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house whose house are we, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. And so this, this writer is a passionate pastor that loves God and that loves his people. And one of the challenges I gave to you in the very beginning is go through this book and write, read it in one sitting. It takes about, maybe, I don't know, 30 minutes or whatever, and just put a little E next to every exhortation every exhortation in this. And you'll see there's plenty of them because this is how we want to read it. This guy's pleading, pleading, pleading that we would pay attention and consider Jesus. And in this part, in this part of, uh, of the passage, it's no exception. He is telling them about Moses and he keeps using this house, Moses' house, Jesus' house, and us as the house. Now, I don't know if you're a movie buff or a story buff or a reader or anything like that, but if you know the structure of storytelling, you know the concept of the mentor. In every movie, in every story, there's always a mentor, somebody that comes into the story as a result of the main character, the hero, the protagonist, needing help and guidance. They go off and they get this, you know, you, you start the movie, it's their everyday life, it's their everyday things, it's all the stuff they were doing yesterday. Something happens to them. They want to go out now on this journey, whatever it may be, but usually what they do is they say, no, I can't do it, not me. They reject the call, not me. Or they do, they say, well, I could do it, but I just have no idea how to do it. You know, and then, you know, Apollo Creed comes in and says, I can get you back, Right? Or Ben Kenobi pops up and says, you know, I could show you the way of the force, you know, or Gandalf or any of those uh, mythical type of films. They all have the mentor that comes in. 
But one of the common denominators of the mentor in every narrative story is that the mentor always, after he gives this um, instruction, wisdom, encouragement to the main character, because he has the knowledge, he's typically done what this guy wants to do or gal wants to do. So he gives them the knowledge, but then there's that time where the main character needs to let go of the mentor. And he needs to move on. He needs to move forward on his own. And usually what happens is, is if he doesn't move on from the mentor, he stays the same. He has to cross the, cross the threshold to get up to that next level. And he can't do it with the mentor. He needs to be equipped by the mentor so he could face his ultimate battle at the end of the film, whatever that may be. And usually there'll be reflections back to the wisdom that he received. Or in some movies, he'll appear spiritually and say, you're doing well, you know. Of course, Ace Ventura, of course, if you watched Ace Pet 2, he had a mentor as well, right? So he appeared to him, but this is how it happens. But then the mentor disappears. Usually the mentor dies. In almost every movie, something happens to the mentor and he expires. He leaves the movie. And now that person must, that's the threshold of their life. That's the, what they call the point of no return. Will the guy go back and give up? Or will he take the step out of what he learned and go into the battle? And so that is a picture of what Moses was to Israel. Moses was their spiritual hero, their mentor. He came, he was risen up by God in his 80s. He also had sort of a miraculous birth. There's lots of parallels to Jesus and Moses. Moses is obviously a type of Christ <clears throat> in that, you know, he was used as that mediator between God and his people. And Moses was, was venerated almost as God himself by the Jewish people. He is the one that received the law he is the one that took and put up with Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. And what ended up happening when Israel needed to go forward into the promised land to achieve their goal, what happened to Moses? He had to die on that mountaintop. He wasn't able to go in with him. Now we know he sinned. He wasn't able to go in for that. But he knew God knew it was time for Israel to get into the promised land and begin to flourish because he had promised that they would do that. And so this is what, where we're at right now with this writer. He's saying, look, you know, Jesus is better than all the messengers, right? But now I want to deal with the, one of the main issues that you're having, Hebrews. And that is, where does Moses, our great leader, fit in? And, and basically what he's saying is, is that Moses was faithful in his house. Now, when he says the word house, remember I said it's used six different times. When he says Moses' house, he's referring to Israel. He was faithful in his house by that who appointed him. God appointed him to do something, and he did it. And he brought them into the promised land, and he also left his legacy. Of Here's the reminder, Israel. Here's what you must remember, the law. And he goes and he dies. And then Joshua then takes over. But Jesus was faithful in all of his house. Now, when we say his house, 
We have two applications here. One is obviously the people of God, but also it alludes to the fact that Jesus is the builder of all things. So ultimately, it's all his house. Creation is his house as well. And so they were at a crossroads. How do we deal with this? How are we supposed to let go? And again, sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. It's the hardest thing to do, especially when, you know, mentors in our most, I say, relatable sense are probably our parents or some sort of figure in our life that was like a parent to us. And especially parents now, okay, it's very hard. Sometimes children end up living at home and it's that, you know what, I got to take this step out and no offense to any child here that's 30 or 40 living at home. It's no big deal. I'm not trying to pick on you, but what I'm trying to say is, is that in order to move out sometimes, you know, everyone's experience and situation is different, but you got to really take that step. And it's the parent that has to let go as well as the child. And it's the same with business. It's the same with uh, friendships and things like that. People taught you and mentored you, and now you got to go and do it or else you're just going to stay the same. And that's sometimes some of the hardest things to put through our mind and do. But unless we do that, unless we take that step, we're going to remain the same. And Israel would remain the same. And that's what the warnings you're going to see throughout this book. They're married so much to the old covenant and Moses that they're trying to do both. And by trying to be both, trying to be this just following Judaism and trying to mix it with Christianity, what ends up happening is they go nowhere. It just, they just cancel each other out and they just stay the same. So he is exhorting them to not say, well, the parents are no longer good or your mentor is really no longer a good guy. It's not what they're saying. No, Moses had great, he, had, he was worthy of glory. He was for what he did but only as a servant, not as a son, as Jesus was, a son over his house. And so, <clears throat> why, uh, exactly what is the application that goes for us to take this? Well, the other thing, there's a, another word in here that pops up that I believe is the common denominator as well as the whole entire passage, of the whole passage, and that is the word faithfulness, faithfulness. And this is really where it sort of splits off in the contrast before, between Moses and Jesus becomes really, really strong. See, Moses in verse five was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. In other words, Moses's job was fulfilled and Moses now is to be that example so that now looking through the lens of Christ back to the Old Testament, we see everything that Moses was faithful in, everything that Moses did, found its answer and found its outcome in Christ. He was pointing to Christ. Moses was pointing to Christ in his life, in his faithfulness, and in all of his house, people were looking at him and saying, like the scripture I said, so this is later in the message, see, it wasn't that bad. The scripture that we read in the beginning in the Old Testament, it was, it was talking about a prophet that God was going to raise up. 
like Moses. And this was the prophet that Jesus was named to be. Jesus was that prophet that if anyone didn't listen to him, he would be cut off. So just as people were, they were exonerating Moses, they were also waiting for the prophet to be raised up again. They were also waiting for this messianic figure to come that would be just like Moses and that would rescue them out of bondage. You see, Moses was able to lead them out of Egypt. But notice, Moses could not deliver them from Egypt. He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything but what God told him. God is the one that came down on Egypt and came down on Pharaoh to intercede with his people and to pull him out. And to pull that, his son, he calls Israel, out. And that's exactly what God, when you think of God's faithfulness, because we're going to get to our faithfulness, but God's faithfulness is, is that he did what he said he would do. He saved his people from their sins. He pulled them out of bondage just like he did or will do for you. But if you're depending on something or someone other than God, then you will remain in that status. You will not take it up to that next level. And that's really the dilemma of man. Man is caught in the bondage of sin. He's a slave to it. He can, he's tried everything to pick the lock. He's come up with all sorts of ideas and philosophies and things that he could quench that initial instinct of, oh yeah, I'm a sinner and I know I'm bad. And then, but I'm not that bad. Or, but I've, all, you know, I've done these things that are good. And, but... I go to a church every week and keep going, but I do ministry and but, 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 but all the things in the world could not get Egypt or get Israel out of Egypt. Moses just simply went as a servant and basically didn't even want to speak and basically just remembered what God told him to say and said it and often very frustrated he was. It's like, this isn't working. You know, what's going on? If it was up to Moses, we wouldn't be here, okay? Put it that way. Because Moses was just the normal guy, just trying to follow God. It wasn't supernatural. It was all God. Just like it's all God that delivers you from your sin and your bondage. And so Jesus is the one that ultimately does that. So when he is faithful, as we read last week, Jesus was perfected for this job of saving his people. He was perfected, meaning, meaning he was made complete to be able to do that job by God himself, the Father, but mostly how God used it was through suffering. And that's what it said last week. We read that Jesus, it said it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. So the way that we, because then right after that, he calls us, we're, bro- we're, we're brothers with Jesus. And it says, very unfortunately, both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are from one father. I say that in jest. I say unfortunately because Guess how God sanctifies you? Through suffering. 
And, and that's hard to, it's sometimes, you know, we wish it could be something else. I wish I could tell you that, you know, your suffering is because of your lack of faith. I wish I could say that. And then I'll teach you all the ways to have faith, but that's not it. Oftentimes it says even in the scripture that when we suffer for what is good, that pleases God. So God is not this mean tyrant that likes to see us suffer. God is a father that wants to see us conform to his son. And because of our sin and because of our bondage, we must be physically pulled out of Egypt. But guess what? We're not, we're, it's not like we're pulled, Israel wasn't pulled out into the wilderness. And what did they do? They were pulled into the wilderness and they fought. They strategized. They defended themselves. They had to fight to get into the promised land. They suffered. They complained. They did a lot of bad stuff. Even Moses struck the rock when he wasn't supposed to out of anger. He struck it twice. They were all sinners. But it was God is the one that saved them and brought them out. And it was through the pain of suffering. And so when we follow God, when we follow Christ, as Jesus was faithful to his house, meaning you and me, in enduring suffering, we are to emulate and do the same thing. But the key to, to it all is being as Jesus was, and that is fully dependent on the Father. Fully dependent on the Father. It is impossible, I don't say that word lightly, for you or I to be faithful to God. I don't know if you come to that grip, but you and your flesh cannot be faithful to God. You don't have the capability to do it. You don't have the capability to be faithful to God, to say, God, I'm faithful to you. Now you could do, you could show me your works, but that doesn't matter necessarily to me. What matters to me is what I can't see, and that is your heart. Has God changed your heart? Because a man or a woman with a changed heart is not only faithful now to God because of Christ, but they're also useful to God. Whereas before, I mean, God can use anybody, but outside of Christ, we are ultimately not part of that house. We're not able to be useful to God. So how do we, what does it mean then to think about being faithful? Now, I know most of us use that word. I, I mean, one of the most common uses is faithful to a spouse. I'm faithful to my spouse. So when, when you say, how I be faithful to God, how are you faithful to your spouse or to your significant other? Well, what's the number one thing that's unfaithful? Divided allegiance, Right? Try that with your spouse, you know. Hey, we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to be faithful to you, but I'm also going to be faithful to another woman as well. That wouldn't work. That, that's an oxymoron. That's not faithful. It's unfaithful to both. It's mostly unfaithful to God. But when you're faithful to your spouse, what are you? You're committed to your spouse, regardless of what happens. Not based on feeling, 
not based on, well, what's the situation going on right now? Because this has to be perfect for me to be here and all that. No, faithfulness to your spouse is you work 100% there. You're in it no matter what. At least that's your mentality. And that's what faithfulness to God is. It's not about I'm faithful to my spouse and I'm going to be the best spouse ever. And I'm going to say all the right things and I'm never going to do anything wrong. And I'm going to be this perfect person. And that's where my spouse is going to look. No, that's not faithfulness. Obedience is an expression of faithfulness. But uh, oh, faithfulness is not obedience necessarily. It always starts with that change of heart towards God. And in the Bible, faithful is used, this word faithful, faithfulness, belief, they're all the same word in the Bible, in the, in the Greek. It's all the same word. And it's an active word. It's not a, stag, it's not a, it's not a stationary word. It's a verb. It's, it's moving. Your, your faithfulness is going to express itself in works and in outward things. But first, it has to be here with God from the heart. Otherwise, you will continue to spin your wheels. And this is why Jesus was sent. This is why Moses didn't qualify. Because Jesus was the faithful one in many different ways. In the first way he was faithful, he was faithful to God. In order to save his people, which we, which we cover. He was sent to suffer, die on a cross, let his atoning blood cover the sins of his people and then be defeat sin, death, and evil, rise from the dead, proving that, ascending to the right hand of the Father, that was faithfulness. The resurrection and the ascension are God's stamp of approval saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Although he says that in the Gospels, that's the visible aspect of that. But to understand how we can be faithful to God is we must look at Christ alone, not in anything else that we were going to do secondary. Faithful to Christ alone, first and foremost, heart to Christ, fully 100% committed to him in your heart. That's what it requires. Now, notice it's not a labor. It's a surrender. It's a surrender to Christ. Now, when it talks about house, also in the Bible, what else is house used for? It's used to describe the temple. It says Christ was faithful to his house. What is Christ's house? Well, Jesus became the temple. He became the new place where God and man meet. It was where the temple was. The temple was where you met God. Now, Jesus became the temple of God. And we are in Christ and, and I love the visual of being a mini temple. We're mini temples sent out, not to get people to come to, to one temple, but to be the temples and go out to everyone else, to bring God to them. Right? As he dwells in us, which makes us the, the temple of God. 2 Corinthians 6, 16, for we are the temple of the living God. The God is the living God is living in you. So he becomes this new temple, this new dwelling place. And for us, we have to be that faithful temple as we go out. What does that mean? Going out and shining the light. That's what the temple was. It was a, it was, you could see it from hundreds of miles away. 
You know, like, I don't know if you've ever flown over the desert in, at night, but if you do, and you see, like, I think it's Las Vegas, right? It's just the big beam of light that you could see from the, from the sky, 30,000 feet. You could start seeing it miles and miles away. That's the way Jerusalem was. The Temple Mount was lit up so everyone could see it. And then during the day, because it was layered with gold, when the sun reflected on it, it was blinding throughout the whole region. Jesus was the faithful temple by being the light of the world. That's what he did, and that's what he's calling us to do. Now, he's also the faithful Adam because Adam couldn't do this. Adam was supposed to be the guy. He failed. So Jesus came, and he was, the the Bible says, he's the second Adam because he now restored man's image, restored man's image bearing. It was a cracked mirror. That couldn't properly reflect light, but now it's it's a it's a fixed mirror. We are now put back in that position as we were in the garden, not sinless, but from a from a perspective of being a steward of God's creation and a steward of God's being faithful to who appoints us. We're called to go out now and do that. So he was the faithful Adam. How also he didn't sin. Jesus never sinned, which made him that spotless lamb. But it also was a huge aspect of his faithfulness to God. He was doing what God called him to do, completely empty. He loved God purely. How do you love God? How do you know you truly love God? What would be the evidence if if the police came in right now and arrested you and said, you're guilty of loving God right now. Here's the evidence. What would it be? It could be uh, many different things, right? But the main thing, the main thing that that love has to go through is Christ. There's no other way to truly love God other than through Jesus Christ. And so that has to be, that's what Jesus emulated for us. He had a full-blown love for God. And now we have to have that full-blown love for God as well through Christ. When we do that, we are now being faithful to God. That's what he wants. He doesn't want your perfectionism. He doesn't want your legalism. He doesn't want you to sit there and make checkboxes that you did all these spiritual things or didn't do them. He's saying, forget about that for now. I want you to give me your heart and love me. That's what he wants. That's why when we started this, he came to dwell with us because of that love. He was totally, and I think if I had to summarize faithfulness in one word, I would say it would be trust. Trust. Even more than that, a reliance to rely upon. This is where Moses failed. He didn't fully rely upon God. He didn't fully trust God. He was too frustrated. He took his marbles and went home. He was mad because of the obstinate people. But Jesus never did that. Not even through the suffering. That was not even his. He he didn't do one single crime. But through that suffering, he came through because what love never fails. But the key to faithfulness is not outer obedience. It's reliance. It's trust. It's commitment. It's allegiance. 
And yes, they will express themselves in things that you're doing for the Lord, in things you will do to worship God. When you love God, when you come to Christ, you'll want to pray more to God. You'll want to come and hear the Word of God preached. You'll want to come and fellowship with other Christians and be around Christian people. You'll want to do those things. You'll want to serve God in the church and outside the church and wherever. You'll want to be a better parent. You'll want to be a better spouse. You'll want to do these things. You're not judged on how well you do them to be faithful to God. Notice that I'm not saying that, but he says, God's saying, trust me, rely on me, and I'm going to work in you, and I'm going to take you through the crucible, and I'm going to take you all the way through and make you perfect and make you who you need to be, but you have to trust me through the process. Yeah, but it hurts, Lord, it hurts. I know, I know, you got to just shut up and take it. Go through it. All right, bite down hard and get through it. Because on the other side, there's where the trust becomes, wow, this really is amazing. I stepped out for God. I stepped into the dark room that he called me to go into. And man, is it bright. And you'll, you'll become more and more in love with Christ. Now, of course, all this, again, is about Christ. <clears throat> the gospel the gospel of Christ. It all begins there. Christ doesn't want to be <clears throat> just a part of your life. Christ doesn't want to just be included in your life on Sundays. Christ doesn't want to be just the guy that you go to when you're panicked. Christ wants to be there with you through all things. He wants to be that mentor that never leaves you. Okay? Although that's the way he sort of was with the disciples, right? He, he led the disciples. He, he taught them for three years. And then what? He mentored them and then died and left them. And that's why they were like, I'm just going fishing. Forget this. This Messiah's don't die. He said he was going to save Israel. What's going on? But in that separation, he passed through that crucible. He get, then comes back to life after dying for their sins, our sins. He comes back to life and they're freaked out. They're excited. They're just praising God. Look at this. This is all the scriptures said. Now we get it. And Jesus goes, yeah, but meet me in Jerusalem. I'll meet you there in a few days, in a few weeks. <clears throat> I'm going to be leaving. And they were just like... Where are you going? Right? And the angels are like, why are you looking up here? He's, he's gone. You know, go, go get busy. Do what he said. Well, why did he tell us to go to Jerusalem? Well, he said we're going to get power. All right. Well, let's just do it. Let's walk by faith. Let's go wait. And what happens? Boom. The Holy Spirit comes down and the church gets launched. And that spiritual mentor, not only did he prepare his people and send them out, but then he says, I am going to dwell with you permanently by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is not with us right now, personally, but he absolutely is with us fully through the power, through the Holy Spirit. That's why he ascended. And so the faithfulness that we are to give God, he ultimately has given us. But you have to accept it. You have to take it and embrace it. You have to say, okay, Lord, I want to be faithful to you. And I know that I need to do this through Jesus and Jesus alone. So commit yourself to Christ. Nothing else. Commit yourself to Jesus alone. 
Get in the Word of God so that the Lord can speak to you through His Word. Pray and seek the Lord and, and needle Him and, and bug Him and, and just torture Him and say, Lord, I, I, I want this. And He will show up. He will show up and He will provide that faithfulness for you. So I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to read ahead because our author for next week in verse 7 starts to scare us a little bit again. So be prepared next week for a little scary message on losing your salvation. No, I'm just kidding. But it's a scary message because it's another stern warning. Remember, this whole book, if you go to the end of the book, in chapter 13, towards the end, he says, I wrote this as an exhortation to you, as a warning. And it's like a word that means sort of warning and encouragement. So read ahead, and you'll see that this is another strong warning all the way through chapter 4. And we're going to see that God, Jesus, is not only superior to the angels and to Moses, but also to the priesthood, to Aaron, to um, Melchizedek. And he's just going to go through and, and just leave no room for anybody else. It's Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your faithfulness towards us, Lord, that you've provided everything for our salvation in Christ. And I ask you, Lord, that you would <clears throat> show up here in a powerful way, even right now, that your Holy Spirit would, would uh, just pierce us, Lord, draw us closer to you, give us a, a very clear, crystal clear view on what this faithfulness is and that it has everything to do with you, Lord, and the surrender and trust to you, Lord, before the actions show themselves, Lord. Forgive us, God, for trusting in ourselves and for trusting in other things, even, even other things like church or uh, other people or whatever the case may be, we put you in your proper place as our Lord, Savior, Master, and King. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Let's uh, stand together.